0: The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. You're listening to Pure Opelka.
1: This is Pure Opelka.
0: With Mike Opelka.
1: Only on the Blaze Radio Network.
2: Welcome back to Pure Opelka. This is the uh, second hour of the program on this beautiful day here. I, I really do hope. That the weather in your neighborhood is as amazing as it is here today. Yesterday, yesterday was uh, Sunday and spectacular, and I have to tell you, I spent the majority of the day in Washington D.C. with my brother and his son, watching a little tennis as uh, we prepare for an evening match tonight. A tough challenge tonight, and I'm, I'm hopeful and I'm. Hoping that uh, a miracle happens in Washington, D.C. tonight. The first of many <laughs> that I hope will happen. i got a busy day ahead of us. I, I want to encourage you, if you get time, the bottom of the hour, I'm going to point out the eight things that I believe are lining up to show that we are almost a socialist nation. The eight things that appear to be happening that were predicted over 40 years ago, that if they happened... America will become a socialist country. And there's one left that's about to fall into place. And once it does, suddenly it's like something engaged the, uh, the launch codes on the destruct mode of, of whatever has been set to take out this beautiful, free capitalist nation. So that's the bottom of the hour. Uh, also, just keeping an eye on things in D.C. It's not a whole lot going on. The president swore in, the new chief of staff held a cabinet meeting. We, uh, we're we just hopeful, I guess, that something can come, something good can come of all this change and turmoil. And we'll talk in an hour to Dr. Wendy Patrick about that. So be ready, uh, be prepared. And uh, right now we're going to check in with a buddy of ours. I was wearing his shirt uh, for uh, the 22 hashtag for the 22 Ernesto Rodriguez is a guy we connected with last fall after he got out of the army and decided enough is enough with the people in our military committing suicide that he had to call some attention to the problem so what did he do he walked from his home in Tennessee 2200 miles and changed to the Pacific Ocean and did it through the harshest conditions you could imagine. Winter across North Texas to Death Valley as well, by himself, virtually most of the way. People would walk with him a few miles here and there, but it was his journey and his journey alone. And we followed him. And so I love to keep up with what Ernesto's doing and what he's got uh, ahead, because he's not given up on this mission to call attention to the suicide problem we have with our our veterans and he's back welcome back sir how are you good how are you I'm good I'm good I, I'm curious because I know when you got off on this venture when you started your first footsteps out of Tennessee started walking west uh, you were a little different frame than you ended up at the end I think you had dropped like 30 or 35 pounds by the end of it and your calf oh, muscles you. were significantly bigger uh, where are you now? Are you keeping the weight off? Are you still in that kind of road shape?
1: Uh, surprisingly, I'm calling you from the gym.
2: <laughs>
1: so, still, still working out, still, uh, still keeping the, the shape. I figured it was either I was going to sit back down on my couch and get fat again, or you know, stay, stay on a workout regimen and make sure I keep the keep the weight off that I uh, that I got off.
2: Well, I I uh, appreciate the the discipline that you have to have to do that because it doesn't get easier the older you get. It gets a little tougher. So I always tell everybody it's kind of like our professors used to say: study in September, it'll become a lot easier later in the year. So mm-hmm. um, we um, we have we have the good news that you're staying in shape. We have the good news that. Uh, you're working on the book to chronicle yeah. your adventure and your walk. And, and you've also, the shirts that uh, that we bought here to send out to some of our friends who listen to the show, ha- have uh, been doing some good work for veterans. I think it was Ari- Arizona was the group that was being helped by this last T-shirt. Right. The, pro-
1: the proceeds for this shirt. And this isn't like the last ones where there's a time limit. But the proceeds for this shirt are going to... Uh a homeless veteran community in Tucson, Arizona. And what they do is they only take gift cards uh, for Walmart, for example, and gas cards. Uh, the reason they do that is so that they don't have any cash flow in. Uh, if they do have ca- they don't want to be tempted. They don't want to have the homeless veterans be tempted to get back in their routine of controlled substances or alcohol.
2: That's a good idea. That's a great idea. So they buy gift cards for Walmart and, and gas stations, and that gives people access to transportation and food and clothing etc that's a really smart idea and right. do you remember the website for that one that shirt
1: it it's um s-a-c-e-r-a-n-d-s-a-v-i-v-e
2: okay that sounds like it sounds like my last eye chart ernesto you're gonna have to tweet that <laughs> to me and i will retweet I will. it to everybody for sure but now you've got a couple other things. One I think we can't talk about completely, but one I think we can talk about, right? You've got two big things coming up.
1: Right. So I was I was asked not to speak about it just because of the time sensitivity, but we have discussed it once before on your show, so if somebody listens back, they'll be able to, to hear where I'm going. I'm just not allowed to talk about it right now. Um, but I do have another project in the works with a – an actress in California. Um, her name is Julia Ling, and she was on a pretty successful show uh, on NBC a few years back, and she is a Marine, and um, she is starting up a project where she is doing a film uh, and is going to be completely run by veterans, uh, mostly Marine veterans. Um, the difference between this and a Hollywood production is Hollywood productions you know, fantastical. And, and they exaggerate some of the, the details. Uh, this one's going to be very down to earth, uh, very gritty, but it'll be the truth. And it's it's hiring all, all veterans to make sure it's done. So
2: do, is there a working title, did you say for this project? Yes, it's called Tango Down. Tango Down. Mm-hmm. And in in terms of military parlance, what does that mean? Do you know?
1: Uh, tango down is uh, like enemy down.
2: Okay. Okay, and this will be a realistic look at what happens actually in combat in war.
1: It'll be combat and outside of combat. So the the conflict, the the internal conflict that a a veteran has after coming back. Uh, one of the major themes of this is going to be moral injury, and moral injury is is an injury that you 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 put yourself in a position or an action. Which questions your morals, and that uh, guilt of, of breaking your moral code um, can put you into into depression uh, or or cause other you know other problems internally. Uh, it's it's a very touchy subject because it, it, it looms into post traumatic stress, but um, they're not mutually exclusive.
2: It sounds like, and we're talking about something pretty heavy here, and that is sort of um, the the spiral that can happen from from this conflict and it leads to depression and or additional problems, complications with PTSD, which we know all of this is related to the suicide problem we have with our vets. So this is a heavy duty thing. And I know I, I'm pretty much guessing anybody who's been in in the service for a while and been in some of the situations faces this this is not an uncommon feeling is it
1: no it's not and then a lot of people you know categorize it as something that combat arms personnel go through and only combat arms personnel but i've spoken to people who who work in mortuary affairs or they work in other uh other facets of the military and you're a soldier first of course there are different jobs within the military but you're a soldier first so if you're on a a, on the convoy or if you are doing a patrol because you know somebody's sick or somebody's down for the day and you're not an infantryman or you know you're not you don't have combat experience that doesn't mean it can't happen to you so we're always prepared for that so there are other um occupational skills in the military that suffer from uh moral injury
2: i can imagine i I can imagine it's widespread so it's it's uh, it's good that they're bringing it out of the out of the closet, out of the darkness into the light. That's always where we seem to find solutions appear when sunshine's involved. And w- when do you think this one will be able to be seen by the rest of us? Well,
1: I, I'm I'm heading to Los Angeles in December uh, to film. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be a part of the production. Um, from, from that point forward, once the editing's done, uh, the plan is to submit it to, uh, the, the short film festivals. So Sundance and, and, and the like, uh, and, and we really just want to show, you know, the, 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 the realness behind combat and, and suicide is such a touchy subject. And it's something sometimes I think Hollywood doesn't want to grasp onto, uh, because it's so real, but if we communicate it openly, then maybe we can at least alleviate the problem a little
2: bit. Well, I hope so. And, you know, the last time I think Hollywood really dealt with suicide in an honest fashion was in the Oscar-winning film Ordinary People, which I'm telling you, it was a downer. But you know what? I think it sparked a lot of conversations. And if we can, if we can stop one by sparking an uncomfortable conversation – then I think we've done a service to the men, the women, the families of those who protected us. And I think we at least owe that that conversation and that opportunity. I'm excited for this, Ernesto. I I know it's going to be a heavy project. I know it's going to be a project that's going to put the mirror back on everybody involved in it. So, uh, you know, you always you always worry about folks like that. So I, I will be concerned about everyone involved in it, including you, my friend. But it's oh, yeah.
1: definitely going to take an emotional toll. I mean, the walk, the book, everything that has brought back all those memories is definitely taking an emotional toll. But I mean, I think we need to risk that that uh, exposure of, of your emotions so that other people that are going through these situations understand that it's okay to discuss these things.
2: Well, you're you're, um, you're a leader on this, and I appreciate you for being there. Now, when can we expect to see? When can we tell the other story completely?
1: uh around september
2: okay around september so we're going to book you to be back around september if not you know you're always welcome here uh can i ask you a completely off-topic question but it's still military related need... mm-hmm. are you allowed to express an opinion or have an opinion on the on the statement or the president's wishes to keep a transgender person from serving in the military. Do you feel it's a good idea, bad idea, problem, not a problem? I, I am now a private citizen, uh, so I can say whatever I want. Okay, but, good. Uh, uh, I,
1: I, I I can see both sides of the argument, and and I know that's kind of neutral, and maybe that's me kind of skirting away from the subject, but it's not. Uh, I, I've seen public figures and people who have no experience in the military, zero uh who who have spoken out uh against or for it uh and and again this is this is where we're talking about having a conversation i think our country has lost the great art of debate where if we hear something that we that doesn't agree with us we shut it off we block it we don't listen to it anymore we don't like being questioned we don't like being challenged and that's where the problem is there could be solutions for 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 the transgender issue uh, I, I served with uh, people that, that are in the LGBT community, and I've never had a problem with them. Uh, I, I've never been with, with a transgender soldier uh, in, in, a, in a unit. But if that person has already gone through what they have to go through to, to identify themselves with what they want, I don't see a problem with them serving. Now, if they're still going through surgeries, they're still going through all their homework treatments, and it's going to debilitate them from the fight, that's where the effectiveness of the military goes
2: away. See, and I think that's where most common thought happens, where most agreement happens on this topic. I think 90% of, or some overwhelming percentage of Americans believe if somebody will raise their hand, swear to protect and defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic, and is willing to take up arms and go through training, I think we're all happy to say, yes, go. But then we get to the question of combat readiness, fitness to engage in the fight. And if there is surgery and or medical treatments and or counseling that takes 18 months to two years, then I think a lot of us go, wait a minute, that's not fair to everybody else. And I think that's where that's where I have the the argument in my own head. So we're kind of I think a lot of us are on the same page on this and. So, As well, we one person solutions. called, and find, can, go ahead.
1: We can find solutions, and and that's the problem. Like, why if 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 a, if a transgender soldier has not gone through this and wants to join the military, then that person's enlistment contract shouldn't start until post operation, where that person is recovered.
2: Yeah. Or see, I think common sense from within is what's needed here, and and you and many others who have spoken out on this have brought that that real perspective from within. To the table so I'm, I'm happy to hear that. I'm, I'm running up against a break Ernesto. I, I appreciate you checking in with us. T- please tweet me that that web page so I can tell people if they want to jump on the bus and support the great new shirt they can and then uh, we'll be in touch on on the next uh, big news that you'll have. I hope we can reveal it soon or as you said, if you can find him in SoundCloud, uh, Ernesto kind of hinted big time at what was happening last time so thank you my friend thank you appreciate you and uh, we'll be right back
0: pure opelka with mike opelka on the blaze radio network You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka.
1: Part of the next generation of talk radio on the Blaze Radio Network.
2: Jumping all over, people. Welcome back to Pure Opelka. (laughs) It's a Monday. I'm allowed to jump all over issues. Uh, Just around the corner, we're going to ask a a new uh, vital question and uh, also get to some of the other news. I have to get to the socialism thing, too, because I told you I would at the bottom of the hour plus uh, Dr. Wendy Patrick just around the corner. You know, I've talked about opioid addiction and the problem this nation faces on opioid addiction and I've I've been involved here in in the home state of Delaware where we live in talking about solutions to the opioid addiction. And I don't think people really took it seriously. And maybe what happened over the past weekend will bring to light more more information that can help people realize just how big the problem is that we face Um, for example the mayor of of nashville tennessee got the worst phone call any parent can ever get on saturday night late when she was told that her son had died of an overdose the mayor her, her 22-year-old son died of an overdose. It's absolutely horrific. Now, do we know if it was an opioid that killed the son? No, we don't. We just know that there has been a massive increase in overdoses, and opioid addiction is on such a rise. And I, I think 6 out of 10 of these deaths have been, uh, drug overdoses have now been attributed to ...opioid addiction to heroin to um, fentanyl, which is a much cheaper version to the Percodans, the Percocets, the hillbilly heroin, as they call it. And I think that if nothing else, if this horrible story from Nashville does nothing other than bring to light the fact that this addiction crisis can hit anywhere in any demographic... A protected class, you would think, a politician of a major city, the mayor of a major city. It's heartbreaking. And we have to face up to it. And we're going to have to work together to solve it. But right now, it's, it's just something I don't think enough people are talking about. But it's the equivalent of uh, more than 30,000 people a year. And that's two years ago we have to do something. It's a big problem. When we get back, I want to talk about socialism. Are we on the brink? Please come on back after the break. Welcome back to Puro Pelka. I am uh, changing the schedule just sh- slightly. We're going to get back to uh, the socialist rant because I need to get back on target for the schedule today. We did have a, a vital question up earlier, and I want you to take a look at it. The vital question of the day asks the question, would you buy an electric car? And this uh, this question of the day came from Last Friday's big announcement, the big weekend announcement, that uh, Elon Musk had rolled 30 of the Model 3 Teslas out of the production line and into the hands of 30 owners, all of whom worked for him and do work for him. These are 30 people who will be, I guess, doing the initial road test on these cars And I think it's a smart idea to put it in the hands of the people who work for you because you're, you know, you're going to get, uh, I think, a pretty honest appraisal. And you're also going to be having people driving to work in the new cars be able to say, yeah, this worked, that didn't work because Tesla is trying to get its production levels up. Elon Musk is targeting to get to 20,000 cars starting in January a month and then uh, hopefully to 50,000 cars a month by next summer. Now, the Model 3 is is within the reach of most car buyers. It's a $35,000 base model, and then you can add on some things like premium sound and premium uh, seating and some other better speakers, et cetera, as they say, um, accoutrement to make your car actually drive farther. You can put a little better battery capacity on it and it'll go a little bit farther. But generally, it's a $35,000 four-passenger car with a 215-mile range. So it's going to change the industry if it does what Musk says it will do. If it gets to... If it gets to fifty thousand cars a month at thirty-five thousand K or thirty-five thousand dollars, not thirty-five thousand K, thirty-five thousand dollars, it's going to compete against a lot of other cars. Now the the federal benefit, there is a tax benefit, a seventy-five hundred dollar tax credit available to buyers of these cars. I think it's in the first 500,000 cars sold and once the car company sells more than 500,000 then I think it drops to $3,500 so you get a little rebate from the government and then it becomes obviously successful so the government doesn't need to put an incentive on it but the Model 3 came out last week as I said there are 30 owners so far with the target of getting to a uh, 1,000, I think, by September, October a month, and then getting up to 10,000 cars a month in January. Mine will probably not arrive until, ooh, sometime next summer. But the question is, would you buy an electric car? The vital question. And in, in five hours, 53% of you say no. Almost 10% of you can't make up your mind. So that means like 62 to 63% of you cannot decide and only 38% would say, yeah, I would. But my question would be, why? Why? If you never had to stop at a gas station unless you needed a bathroom or a soda, if you never needed a muffler, if you never needed an oil change, why would you not consider it? If you've ever driven one of the big Teslas, the ones that are about eighty-five dollars to $100,000, you know it's a very nice car. It's also fast as all get-out. It's a really interesting car. So I just wonder, if you have a thought on it, 888-900-3393, 888 Now, uh, Nerf Herder36, a regular listener of this show, said, nope, I'd do natural gas or propane-powered car to cut back emissions, but not electric. Well, there is the one propane slash hydrogen hybrid that we saw at the Freedom Fest. It's $157,000. But that's interesting, an interesting take. Uh, Benny Pinella said, if it's a decent car and doesn't wear down to the point of being unusable in five years, well, of course. Well, first of all, Benny, if you take care of a car, it doesn't wear out in five years. Laura Smith, Laura Lou on Twitter, said, I voted no, but my answer is not, not yet. Not enough infrastructure to support them. See, that's, that's the interesting question is, will you be able to, to get enough juice in a short period of time? I know Tesla is actually working on uh, a changeable battery, and they're actually looking at different solutions so that if they, if they had the ability to just pop out the battery and slide a new one in, just the way you do with, with regular D, C, and A cell batteries, wouldn't, wouldn't you consider it then? Maybe. Maybe. Uh, Scott Summers writes, I can, I can buy a lot of gasoline and repairs for my currently paid-off car with 35K, so probably not anytime soon. Now, that's obviously a very responsible position on this so i'm I'm very interested to to hear from somebody who wouldn't. I would love to know why or why why you wouldn't. Now here's an interesting sidebar to this. And this comes from the weekend edition of The Financial Times. I don't know if you've ever read the Financial Times. but in in the the Financial Times this weekend, a technology column from Polita Clark talks about the electric car revolution. And how it will leave many behind, and she highlights the fact that that uh, many in the UK are now starting to ban gasoline and diesel cars after twenty forty. France has already done it, and we know that that Volvo is looking to get into electric only or alternative energy only cars starting in twenty twenty. That is massive. But here's the interesting thing about this. Currently, there are only 2 million electric cars on the roads in the entire world. That's well below 1% of the global total of cars in the entire world. But the sales are growing pretty rapidly. And they believe there could be as many as 20 million electric cars on the road by 2020. And maybe 70 million electric cars by 2025. While that's good news for the climate people, it may cause a problem in terms of production of batteries, power plants that will have to create the electricity so people can plug in and charge their cars. But the other interesting thing on this is, what about the jobs in the auto industry? According to the stats from Ms. Clark, the auto industry itself, if you just looked at the auto industry in America, there are 7 million jobs in the auto industry in America and another 13 million in Europe. So we have 17 million people. It's 20 million people working. Now, what happens when you change dramatically? You change how cars are made and what components are in them. And Ms. Clark cites a study by a bunch of financial analysts at UBS, UBS Financial Services. They tore apart one of the new GM cars, the Chevy Bolt. It's all electric. It's supposed to be a pretty amazing car. They found it was $4,600 cheaper to produce than expected and said that the costs like that will probably disrupt the industry leader faster than anybody understands and they're they're not looking at the jobs of the auto worker but one of the interesting things in here she calls frightening frightening according to the UBS people who took apart the Chevy Bolt they said there are just 24 moving parts in that car just 24 moving parts in the entire car which does seem amazing right Because a moving part breaks, something goes wrong, somebody has to fix it, something needs to be replaced. 24 moving parts compared to a Volkswagen Golf, which has 149 moving parts. If you've ever driven an electric car, you know there really aren't gears. There's forward, reverse, and park. Forward, reverse, and park. That's it. It's a much simplified engine. Much more simplified engine. So the car industry is not going to need as many people. There aren't as many moving parts. Combustion engines have spark plugs. Oil that has to be changed. Electric motors, the the motors that drive these cars, don't have any of that. They don't require the maintenance. So what is this going to do to that 20 million auto workers who are out there? Obviously, you're going to have some new jobs. You're going to create jobs for people that deal in batteries, people that deal in software. But there are going to be a lot of people that either going to need to be retrained or left behind. So what's going to happen? They think, based on the UBS estimates and uh, Polita Clark's estimates in the Financial Times, More than 420,000 auto jobs in Germany are at risk by the 2030 ban on combustion engines that they are debating right now. France and the UK say 2040. Germany's trying to push it and get ahead to 2030. That's the big problem of green energy, isn't it? Nobody understands fully what the residual dangers are in terms of economic job loss, the massive job loss, And what is it going to cost to retrain people? Because they are going to be out of jobs. And in some of the cases, these jobs, even if they come back, these electric motors are going to be a lot more reliable than the old mechanical internal combustion engines. I'm just saying, it's a whole new world. And like many other things, no one's thought about the repercussions. When we get back, I want to talk about... um, I want to talk about Cracker Barrel. Have you ever been to a Cracker Barrel? One of the great things of driving around the country, Cracker Barrels. Kind of a wild story about Cracker Barrel. Now that I keep saying it, I'm hungry for a chicken fried steak smothered in gravy, right? I'll explain why I'm obsessed with Cracker Barrel today, next on Pure Opelka.
0: You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. To Pure
1: on the Blaze Radio Network.
2: Welcome back to Pure Opelka. Wrapping up the second hour of the show today, it is kind of moving and grooving and kicking off the top of the next hour will be our friend Wendy Patrick. We, we'll talk a little politics, but Wendy's got a new a new column out. You know, she writes on a, a myriad topics. She writes on the law. She writes on politics. You can see her in, in a lot of different places, but she also writes about dating, which I think is interesting because she takes it from the point of view of all the stuff she's written about frenemies and, and all the red flags in relationships. So it's kind of fascinating. We'll we'll dig into that next hour when we talk to Dr. Wendy Patrick. I wanted to share a story with you, um, just a, a good story, one of those things that... I wonder how many others have done something like this. There's a couple, an 80-year-old couple, Ray and Wilma Yoder of Goshen, Indiana. They set a, a, a plan years ago, and it looks like they're about to complete it. Back in 1977, the Yoders met. Ray was a truck driver. And he loved going to Cracker Barrels, and I have to tell you, not a not a sponsor of this show. I wish they were, but I do enjoy a Cracker Barrel. If we're driving anywhere for a long period of time, and there's a Cracker Barrel, and anybody's hungry, the Cracker Barrel plea is made. But in the case of the Goshens, or the uh, Yoders of Goshen, Indiana, they set out to try and get to every Cracker Barrel in the country. They've traveled more than 5 million miles, according to their own calculations. And uh, over the weekend, they apparently were at the ribbon cutting of the newest Cracker Barrel in Livonia, Georgia. Now, that will mean they only have to go to one more Cracker Barrel, and they will have visited every single restaurant in the country. All 645 of them. All they have to do now is get from Livonia, Georgia to uh, an outpost in Oregon. And they will have been to every single... i got to give them credit. They say they don't always eat an entire meal when they get to the place, but they they do spend money and buy a cup of coffee or some candy or something. As uh, Mr. Yoder told Fox News... We don't just pull in the parking lot and count it. We actually spend some money there. I wonder if anybody else has done this. I, I knew a guy who wanted to go to every McDonald's in the country, but that would have taken more than, I think it was at the time, more than 25,000 McDonald's. or 12 I'm sorry, it might have been 12,000. But the, this couple, the Yoders, a tip of my cap. What a wonderful way to spend some time together and get yourself a chicken fried steak and some big old cat head biscuits and gravy. Now I'm hungry and I need to take a break. We'll be right back.
0: Opelka
1: with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network.
0: The Blaze Radio Network. On Demand.